it is of my humble opinion that the Monster Squad walked so that Waxwork could also walk a year later so that Cabin in the Woods could run. I think that checks out. Yeah. 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 The girls who cried be horror. Hi guys. Happy November. October is now done, sadly, but it is a good time for us to now rest and go back into our eternal slumber until <laughs> next October. But um we do, of course, have an episode for you this month. Uh, before we get to that, though, as always, I am Anya. And I am Alex. Welcome to our November episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. This month was an Anya pick. and It was. She has chosen, what year is this? Oh, 1980-something. <laughs> 1980-somethings. Waxwork. Let me look now that you've brought it up. But yes, um, I did get to select for this month, and Waxwork was a film that we had both seen before that, 1988, y'all, it's 1988. Um, yeah, that's what you said, 1988. Exactly, literally what came out of my mouth the first time. I don't know what the fuck y'all heard. But, Hold on, Anya, um, I just have to tell you that Craven just put her head into her food box and then took out a can in her mouth and is trying to run away with it. Hi, get hi. it, girl. Can't do that. Okay. But um, I, upon first viewing, um, really liked it, had a good time with it, Alex not so much, which is, I feel like a lot of, uh, so many episodes of this podcast, I feel like we've been like, me and Alex like always have different opinions, but then like <laughs> we'll end up doing an episode where we're like, we both really like this or something. We're like, this is definitely one where I feel like it's like, I was like, yeah, I fuck with this, and Alex was like, no thanks. I agree. Um, and I feel like it was pretty much the same on the rewatch, so it will definitely be an interesting conversation today. Um, but yeah, uh, a huge part of the conversation I think will also be, which we'll hold off on, on whether or not it's an anthology or not. Um, because when I brought up that I wanted to do this uh, for the November episode, Alex was like, oh yeah, it'll be our first like anthology we're doing um, for at least a main episode, because I personally think that Scare Me counts as an anthology. Um Interesting. See, to a I don't. Degree. Oh, we're gonna have such an interesting conversation. I now. Know. Get ready. Um, and I remember when she said that, I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Did she thinking of the right movie?" And I was like, "I guess I could see how we would think it's an anthology." And I was like, "Well, now we have to both go into rewatching this, possibly viewing it that way." And I definitely had thoughts, and I definitely viewed it at some points differently than I did the first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really know that either of us have any, you know big tale to tell about the first time we watched it. I don't even remember why I watched it. I honestly think it was something... Oh my god, you know what it was? Holy shit. Back in my Tumblr days. Mm, so we're like really Tumblr. throwing it back. Yeah. Um, I... There was like a bunch, I think, of like horror Tumblrs that I followed where like the whole thing would just be like screen grabs from different horror movies. Mm -hmm. And like a bunch of them would be movies at the time that like I didn't know about, I had never watched, or like I wanted to see already. And I remember I used to have, this was before Letterboxd or anything, this was, this was Tumblr time, not Letterboxd time. We've, I've evolved so much, um, but not really. I would, like, in my notes app, I would write down the name of the movies that the stills were from. They, like, looked cool. I was like, oh, I gotta watch that. I gotta watch that. So, Wazzwerk was on my watch list for such a long time. And then I think eventually I just got around to finally watching it. And I was like, and that was really fun. And then, in turn, I 
on one of Alex's horror watch lists that mm-hmm. I make for her, gave it to her, and she watched it. Yeah, I had never heard of it before, um, which is kind of surprising just because the lead actor is, um, you know, from Gremlins, Zach Galligan, yeah. one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of it. I would never have seen it if it wasn't for you. Um, the first time I watched it, I felt pretty much the exact same way I felt this time. And it's mm-hmm. funny that you, in your introduction, you brought up, because I know in your Letterboxd review, you referred to this as, you know, you said the same thing about this walked so Cabin in the Woods could run. And I mean, if anyone has listened to our Evil Dead episode or Evil Dead Tangential Terror, they know that mm-hmm. I do not personally care for Cabin in the Woods. Um, yes. I also do not care for Monster Squad. I'm so sorry if that is offensive to people because I know that's a big, <laughs> big one people love. I'm just like personally not really that interested in like the classic monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought it was so funny that you brought up all three of those films because I don't particularly care for any of those films. Um, but I feel like Waxwork has a very intriguing concept. But for yeah. me, both times watching it, about 45 minutes in, I just lose all interest and I'm immediately like I don't care anymore I want it to be over and then it has like another hour so that's fair that's fair and before anybody turns off the episode because Alex doesn't like any of those movies it's a perfect combination because if you're someone that's also like I'm a horror fan and those aren't for me then you've got somebody here that's you know gonna be in your corner and if you're a horror fan that's like I fucks with the monster squad with waxwork and with Cabin in the Woods don't fucking worry because I'm in your corner because I like all three of those movies because you know what Film is subjective. Oh! <laughs> so I'm allowed to have my fucking opinions. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, I think that we should probably just jump right in uh, to some fun little background on the film. Um, so let me pull up my motherfucking notes on this. All right. Here we go, y'all. So to begin, the film of 1988, it was budgeted at $3 million, um, okay. which is definitely, I feel like, higher than some of our other ones but like in general for like making a movie three million dollars when it comes down to it is mm, not a lot of money Mm -hmm. when you really like factor in like everything you gotta be paying for but it also makes sense if you have seen this movie or if you're gonna watch this movie there's a lot of um like special effects makeup done for like monsters and all this shit which I have another whole fact about um which most likely is where, like, a lot of the money went. Also probably set design because they are hopping around between a bunch of different, like, um, sets within the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I digress. Um, so well, the I film also was feel made... like, um, I, I want to mm-hmm. just check something. Hold on. Um. Yeah, I also feel like with uh, Zach Galligan being the lead, I mean, he was a couple of years off of Gremlins, so I'm sure that, right. like, you know, the pay for him was probably pretty decent. I don't know if that's I'm sure. a part of the budget, but I would assume. Yeah, I mean, he's also the lead, so yeah, I'm sure he's he's bringing him the biggest paycheck, at least in terms of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, the film was made, though, uh, by writer-director Anthony Hickox. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because, so he also directed... Um, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the Hellraiser franchise. Um, he actually got to make this movie after he moved to Los Angeles and got into a car accident. Oh. Uh, because the other car he crashed into, the driver of the car was, this is going to be a hard name for me to pronounce, uh, Stef- Stefan, or uh, something like that, Stefan 
Arenberg. Um, He's a producer, I believe. He produced uh, Jersey Girl, not the Kevin Smith one, um, and The Quiet America with Brendan Fraser. Um, And he, at the time, I guess, was looking for a script to produce. Um, So then in three days, uh, Anthony Hickox wrote the script for this, which I I will say it shows. It shows in three days. Um, And, you know, magic was born. So Stefan was a producer on this film. Um, Wow. Talk about a meat cute literally that's just LA baby that's how it works out here <laughs> you just gotta um, hit somebody important I'm just gonna buy a car so I can run somebody off the road and be like do you want to make my movie <laughs> that's how it works um but let's see um there are there were actually three characters uh iconic kind of horror characters that were supposed to actually be uh in the film as different waxwork displays okay. but they couldn't end up doing it because of uh Fight, like legal reasons. One was Jason Voorhees. Uh, one were was going to be five children from Village of the Damned, Ooh. and uh, the last one was going to be The Thing uh, mm. from 1982, John Carpenter. Um, in the shooting script, though, uh, Jonathan, who's one of the characters, um, is staring at the exhibit for Jason Voorhees. So Jonathan in the script is like the the guy that's like the football player that's like going to go on a date with China. He kind of, like, comes after the rest of them. We'll get to this, y'all. But in the movie as it is shot, he's looking at a Phantom of the Opera display. And there's, like, a bit where, like, he gets pushed in and he gets killed. And the guy that owns the waxwork is, like, makes, like, a bit about, like, oh, they've, like, made films about this guy. Because the whole thing in this movie is that, like, every display is supposed to be based on, like, a real person. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, something that really happened. So, like, whether it's a mummy coming to life or a vampire. In this universe, it's, like, back in the olden days, at one point, this person actually lived or this monster actually existed. Um, But in the script, it was originally supposed to be Jason Voorhees. And when um, the kid looking at it was like, oh, like, he's wearing the same mask that Jason wears in the movie. The guy, the waxwork guy, was supposed to be like, they made movies about Jason's killings? As if they were, like, you know, true crime movies. That maybe would attract a little bit better with me. Yeah. Um, That that starts to lean into um, behind-the-mask territory, I Mm, feel like, a little bit. Um, There's a little fun fact for you. Um, Also, actually, I'm going to save this one for last because it's my favorite fact. Um, Kane Hodder, we love these these facts, um, was actually uncredited in this film. Speaking of of these stories. um, As... At the end of the film, I believe, um, when, like, all the monsters are loose and fighting everybody, he is playing Frankenstein's monster. Nice. So, That's yeah, fun. I mean, love that. It's like uh, Linnea Quigley. Yeah, she's she's just fucking there, whether you know it or not. Um, in the scene uh, where China ends up, where she's in the basement of the vampire mansion, apparently, the crew says... Um, <laughs> bless you. Uh, the crew says that the set was, quote, the bloodiest thing ever put to screen, but so much of the gore had to be cut because of the MPAA, which, of course, like, especially us coming off of having done Evil Dead Trilogy and Evil Dead Remake, which, mind you, obviously Evil Dead Remake came many years later, so I guess we'll take that out of the running, but, I mean, there's definitely blood in that scene, but yeah, when I read that, I was like, y'all must have cut a lot if you're out here saying... But it's one of those things where it's like, maybe when you're physically there on the set, you're like, holy shit, this is a lot of blood. When in reality, because 
you know, it's different when it's, like, then on the screen. And if these aren't people that worked on other bloody movies, it might feel like, holy mother of God, that was the bloodiest thing I ever saw. So, you know, I don't think that they're outright lying. It might be their truth. I think but, it's um, a lot of hyperbole on their end, probably. Um, yeah. Probably the most blood they've personally ever seen, uh, even if it's fake blood. But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to highly doubt it was the most blood put to screen by the fucking 1988 i'm gonna i'm gonna call that bluff i think Mm. um coming back around to what i was saying earlier about like budget and where a good amount of the money would have gone um effects artist bob keen actually apparently spent 18 hours a day for eight weeks working on the monsters in the film that is fucking nuts that's, Holy God. That's that's ridiculous. That's too much time. How do you sleep? How do you eat? How do you do anything? I mean, I mean, yeah, I, this comes back to, like, especially a topic that I feel like is very much being discussed now, currently in the film industry, of, like, you know, overworking people mm-hmm. and, like, you know. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If the, it was Bob Keen's own doing and he was like, I want these monsters to be perfect, I'm going to, for some reason, choose to work 18 hours for eight weeks, God bless him. But if it obviously stems from a place of, like, they right. were like – you know, chain Bob to the wall and he can't leave till the monsters are done. Mm, that's fucked up. Regardless, it's a lot of fucking time. Um, but you know what? I will say that at the end of the day, Bob Keen, I thought your monsters looked great. So you know what? It wasn't for nothing. Um, the house that is used as the waxwork exterior is actually still standing. Um, but it's one of those unfortunate things, which I get... But then it's also, oh my god, this reminds me of another thing, girl, I gotta tell you, and our listeners can hear it too. I'll get to it. Um, But so the people that own it now, though, apparently have grown a hedge up around it to make it less visible, and they discourage waxwork fans from, like, looking for photo ops. Now, here's where I stand on that. Um, I get it. At the end of the day, like, it's your house, you live in it, you don't owe anybody to, to come on your property and take a picture. But I also think about, like, things like, you know, the Halloween house where like they know it's a huge house it's a huge movie house especially like it's in California where a bunch of movie houses are and they like have like a thing set up where it's like this is an area where you can come you can see the house you can take your picture apparently I haven't gone and done it personally I would love to at some point um but apparently they're very nice I just I don't know it's one of those things where it's like sure you're looking for a house and you want this house, and I'm sure they have to tell you in the process, like, this was a filmed for this movie or used in several movies. It's just, like, I don't know. I guess in an ideal world, you would want, like, a horror fan to buy one of those houses so that, one, they can keep it intact, and secondly, so that, like, they can make it not, you know, not open it like a fucking museum, but, like, you know, not call the police if, like, someone is out on their, like, you know, front sidewalk taking a picture because, you know, they love this movie. That's not always the case, though, but, you know, it's just unfortunate. I mean, I am not particularly, even as a fan of waxwork, running to see the waxwork house. I mean, if I, like, came across it, I'd be like, oh, my God, how fucking cool. Snap a pic. I'm not going to, like, trek out there just for that. But it is just unfortunate when it is just one of those things where it's, like, overtly, like, don't even fucking bother. Do not show up. But what this made me think about is... I have a fun fucking fact for you that I just found out recently, because I think it literally just came out recently, that do you fucking know who, I think it just got, it, it did just get put back on the market, but do you know who has been the last owner of the Nightmare on Elm Street house? Is it Nicolas Cage? Because I know he owns a lot of property. 
Oh my god, I would be fucking beside myself with Nicolas Cage. I'd be no. so happy. No. Let's see if I can pronounce it correctly. Uh, Laureen Scafaria, director of Hustlers. Now, do you know who that is? Oh, yes, I do. Um, oh, fuck, I do, but I can't remember. But I, I, when, when it, once you say it, I'm going to go, yeah, I know that. She is the um, long-term partner. Oh, Bo Burnham. Of Bo Burnham. Yes. So Bo Burnham filmed inside in the guest house of the Nightmare on Elm Street house. What? Yeah. Isn't that fucking mind-blowing? I mean, I knew that they were together because I'm kind of sad about it because I love Bo Burnham. Um, <laughs> right. And I knew that he did inside in their guest house, but I did not know that whole thing. That's so fucking cool. I know. <gasps> I know. I saw it and I was like, what the fuck? That's a dream. I mean, just like two of our interests converging like that. This has nothing to do with horror, but I will also plug Bo Burnham's Inside because it's the best thing I've seen this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love You Bo should Burnham. all see it. Um, it's amazing. Anyways, moving on from that tangent, um, the female lead of the film, uh, Deborah Foreman, was actually, during the time of filming it, dating director-writer Anthony Hickox. Um, Ooh. Uh, which, Scandalous. Then in context, when you think about, like, her whole scene and, like, what she does in it, it's like, yeah. what kind of fantasies were y'all playing out on screen? You know what? Good for y'all. Um, but apparently they had a quote, as, as far as Anthony Hickox is concerned, uh, a messy breakup before filming the sequel to Waxwork, which I have not seen, Waxwork 2 Lost in Time in 1992, which is why apparently she does not reprise her role in said film. Um, and I think gotcha. I got, oh, I got two more for us. Okay. Okay. I'm save my favorite one for last. So, um, character in the film, Sir Wilfred, who ended up being played by Patrick Mackney, who, um, might be known by some people for, he narrated like a bunch of James Bond behind the scenes, like things for, in the 2000, in, in the 2000, in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a character named Tibbet in the James Bond film of You to Kill. Um, I personally know him as Dr. George Wagner in The Howling. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up getting the role, but there are multiple other um, elderly white men uh that were considered for the role pretty famous people um one was michael gal um some of you may know him as elder goodnight from the corpse bride um he also played alfred in all four of the timber slash joel schumacher batmans um christopher lee rather sir christopher lee um who y'all will know as soromon from lord of the rings pastor galswell from the corpse bride and Lord Summerisle from The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Peter Cushing was considered. Okay. Uh, he is known as Dr. Van Helsing from, funny enough, Christopher Lee's 1958 Dracula. Um, he's also known as Grand Moff Tarkin from the first Star Wars film. And then, of course, this one we'll all know very well. Uh, Donald Pleasance, who obviously is Loomis <gasps> oh, in so many of the Halloween films. Um, he also, he's, he's a huge horror head. I don't want to call him a horror head, but he's a huge horror actor. He's in a bunch of other, like, very well-noted horror films, like Prince of Darkness, Alone in the Dark, Phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all considered for the role. Um, wow. Which I just think is interesting, just, you know, that clearly for this, like, role, which makes sense because the character is this, like, older guy that, like, knows about all these monsters and is going to come kill mm-hmm. them. So, of course, you would want, like, an elderly, like, horror icon, per se, well, to be in the role. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, since this was his, since he, Anthony Hickox, was just moving to L.A. when this all happened, was this his first feature? Um, because if it me... is, I think it's incredible that 
he got so many huge names even like auditioning for his film could you imagine oh i mean that's the fucking dream i feel like for any filmmaker it's just like in general to get anything of yours like to get be able to direct something or as a writer to like get your script made like Mm -hmm. for sure um let's see uh but yeah oh it is his first film yep wow that's fucking Mm -hmm. crazy yeah, he, he made this, then he made another movie called, um, which I would love to see at some point, because uh, who the fuck was in it? I'm trying to remember who's in it. Oh, Bruce Campbell's in it as Van Helsing. It's called Sundown, the Vampire in Retreat. Okay. Then he did Waxwork 2, then he did Hellraiser 3, and then from there it kind of like goes into like a bunch of like straight to DVD, it looks like action films. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he had a good run. He had yeah. a good run. Cool. Um, and then my last fact for y'all, which when I saw this, I said, whoa, 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 run that back. This is really important to me. So in the movie, there's a police officer who, um, Mark, the lead character, brings to the waxwork to try to be like, our friends got taken here. Something's wrong here. Um, yada, 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 and he doesn't believe him. But then after the fact, he realizes that, like, a bunch of the statues of the victims in the mm-hmm. waxwork resemble people that are missing or have been missing for a while. And they show these missing persons posters. The best part of this is that all the missing person posters are just copies of the posters um, used in the opening sequence of The Lost Boys. um because they they use like adult photos yeah but all the posters like the information written on them is for the same two missing children nice and i just think that's fucking epic and another reason why you know i have respect for this film pulling from all the greats baby yeah that's something that you would definitely love (laughs) it's just like anytime i see the lost boys written anywhere i'm like okay everybody stop shut up what does it say (laughs) i should have known i really should have um, but yeah, um, cool. so yeah, that's my little, my little rundown of some fun facts. Alex, why don't you tell our fucking listeners what the hell's going on in this movie? <laughs> okay, Waxwork follows six friends who are all very, you know, preppy, kind of obnoxious white people. They come across this wax museum on this random fucking residential street, and they get invited to a midnight showing like a private event and are told to bring some friends and just you know come have a good time so the six of them pregame they go to the wax museum where two of them initially before even going in they're like no this is spooky i don't want to do it um and they leave so four of them go in it is the it is a completely private show it is just them and they walk around and look at all the exhibits and one by one as the ropes fall and they try to get a little bit closer to the wax figures, they get transported into these other worlds, other stories, which is essentially why we had initially referred to it as anthology, because there are different like cutaway scenes. Um, and if you die in this scene, then you become a wax figure in the museum. Um, Zach Galligan, our lead, and our female lead do not go into the exhibits in this first night, but their two friends do. And the rest of the film essentially just follows them trying to figure out where their friends went, what's going on with this wax museum, the creepy guy who runs it, and it's just a mystery of what is happening, how can we stop it, and yeah, that's pretty yeah. much, that's the, that's the gist. 
And if that sounds like something that interests you or anything you said has interested you so far, it is available to stream on Tubi, on the Roku channel, all for free but with ads. I think on fucking Vudu, one of them. It's it's on a bunch of like those like it's it free what, but watch ads. Oh, it's on Prime too. It was on Prime with ads. So there you go. Um, so if you're someone that you know is too bougie, you can fucking rent it. If you're like me and don't give a fuck, there it is. Um, but yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And then you know, at this point, there will be spoilers if you don't listen. Um, they kind of discover that the whole thing is like this guy killed fucking Mark the Lead's grandfather years before because his grandfather and Sir What's-His-Fucking-Name that I already talked about were, like, friends, and they, like, collected all these, like, ancient artifacts from each of these, like, horror monster figures. Um, uh, But because they find out that, like, this guy has accumulated all these artifacts from all these monsters, and then on top of that created scenes from their life that is how he is able to like create essentially these like vortexes in time that he can then push people into when they go into the scene and they can the whole point is to kill them because like they need like sacrifice like a certain number of sacrifices like i think 16 or 18 or something i think it's 18 um one for each of the monsters so that once all are done they can all come back to life and then wreak havoc on the earth and you know destroy Mm -hmm. everything um so that that's pretty much what happens um something i would like to open up with talking about is kind of uh how goofy the film is which i think kind of falls in turn with monster squad before it and i mean obviously cabin in the woods is very horror comedy but like even from the opening of this like all the musical choices in this are just like so goofy i feel like like the scoring is is very rarely i feel like unless it's like you know like when she's in the vampire mansion or whatever is never like very ominous or very spooky it's kind of like do 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 oh oh, we're gonna go to the waxwork and something kooky's gonna happen it the fucking closing credit song is literally um it's my party (laughs) which i don't understand entirely how that correlates to the film but i wasn't mad about it and i think in turn especially opening up with the musical choices i also think a lot of the acting choices it's just like, which I'm sure comes from the script. It's just like everyone's character is just like played. It feels like very silly to me. Like I feel like especially when we meet the group and like we kind of get everyone's relationship to each other. The one couple that like doesn't end up going into the waxwork, we know that they're a couple. I then assume the guy from Twin Peaks and the lead were a couple because Mark and China. I don't, I don't think, think they were. They were. They weren't, but right at the beginning, I was like, oh, they're a couple, mm. because, like, it's just, like, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, and Mark and China, they established from the beginning, like, were possibly a couple at one point, but, like, China's fucking over it now, she just wants nothing to do with him, and, like, there's one running bit, which I thought was fun, where, like, anytime, usually, it's, like, China, like, telling Mark off, and, like, being, like, ice-cold, stone-cold bitch, which I love, they're all, like, in unison they're like wait a second they're like oh that's gotta hurt (laughs) which i was like honestly yeah mark sucks so hard um so i'm not mad about him getting dragged um but i wonder do you think because obviously you're someone that didn't particularly enjoy this film and i'm sure there's multiple reasons do you think that the goofiness was something that added to that for you or was that something you, you enjoyed about the film um well, it's tough because I think 
I don't think that the humor worked at all for me. And okay. I think that's why I don't like it. Um, in a similar way to, like, why I don't like Cabin in the Woods, where, like, I recognize that there's comedy in Cabin in the Woods, but for me, it always felt, like, very snarky, very, like, mm. do you get it? Because, like, if you don't get it, then you're not, like, worthwhile to watch it. That's, like, always the vibe I got from it, of, like, I get the joke, so I'm going to laugh louder than you. And it always, <laughs> like, irritates me. And in this film, I thought the first half had, like, some good dialogue, some funny little bits, but, like... Overall, I just found most of the characters to be unpleasant, and I didn't really find anything in it that made me laugh. I just felt like, I, I felt very one note to me, um, mm-hmm. and I, none of it felt comical. I mm-hmm. felt like everything was just very, like, brown and khaki looking, and just kind of, like, dull. So... The first time I saw it, I honestly didn't even realize it was supposed to be a horror comedy. I just thought it was, like, a horror movie from the 80s. And then when I rewatched it this time, I, I looked it up on IMDb and saw comedy, horror. And I was like, oh, this is supposed to be funny. It's not funny for me. <laughs> I mean, I think there are very tiny moments that make me smile. Um, uh-huh. But I don't know if they're meant... Like, I love the the man who answers the door the small man with the high-pitched voice yes he makes me smile because i love him i don't think that anything he's i think he they're supposed to like give him jokes but they just like aren't funny like i don't think any of the jokes or like any of the like vibes that they're trying to set make me laugh or make me have like a fun silly time but like i enjoy him i think his acting is really fun and like moments like that yeah, I mean, I, that made me think of the moment I think is funny where um, the lurch-type butler, because, like, that's the whole bit, too, is, like, there's, like, two, like, servants, and one mm-hmm. is um, a little person, the guy that answers the door, and then this other guy who, as I said, looks like lurch. He's, like, fucking seven-foot some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the sec, after the first police officer comes back to the waxwork, gets killed uh, in the mummy scene, his, like, partner comes and looks for him, and before he can even get into a scene, like, he, I don't know exactly what happens, but then, like, Lurch, like, hits him over the head and kills him. Mm-hmm. And so the waxwork guy is angry. He, like, comes out. He's like, why would you fucking kill him? Like, we need him as a sacrifice. He would have been perfect. And then the Lurch butler gets, like, all upset. And he starts to, like, cry. And then the waxwork guy, like, is, like, the classic, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Like, you just need to learn your own strength. Like, the bit where it's, like, this big hulking, like, monster kind of person but you like hurt his feelings now you gotta be nice to him yeah I think I understand on like a base level that that is meant to be a joke but when it happened I was just like okay moving on (laughs) that was weird like like can we okay Alex hates fun I just don't think it's fun sorry I think it's fine I mean as we said people have different opinions I think yes definitely it's supposed to be a horror comedy there's definitely moments that are supposed to be funny but I think what also, I guess in my head, makes me lean in towards like, oh, I like it because it's silly, is because a good amount of it, it feels like, like you were saying, like on a first watch, maybe if you didn't know, just would feel like, oh, it is just a horror movie. It's just like doing like that 80s camp, like, it's like bad a little bit, but it's working. Like, there's just like so many different moments of that 
I think within the acting, within like character choices. I mean, just when you set up where it's like, okay, we're going to go to this like creepy house at midnight, just the six of us, like gave me very much like Night of the Demons type Mm -hmm. shit. Um, You know, we're going to go to this party, so we're all going to fucking die or whatever. Um, One thing in particular that really made me be like, this is like classic, like I feel like silly dumb horror movie that we love is just like when Mark goes to the police station and he's telling this guy like my friends are missing so at the very least you're expecting like the guy to be like you know just straight out like I'm tired of these pranks from these kids or whatever and like he doesn't even do that he opens up where he's like yeah so um this is the cop he's like 13 other people have also gone missing recently but like he's kind of casual about it and so when Mark is like yeah well I think that this like house is involved in that like, yes, when he's saying, like, okay, you think they got covered in wax and they're wax figures now? But, like, at the very least, this guy just seems, like, hesitant to check it out. And I'm like, bro, 13 other people have gone missing recently? You should be fucking going on any hunch that you get. Like, but once again, I think it plays into, like, the silly horniness of it, of, like, something I love about most horror movies is having a dumb cop, because ain't that just the way? Um, but, like, to an extreme here where it's, like, I mean, it's not even extreme. Cops are just fucking dumb. Let's fucking say it. Um, (laughs) where it's just, like, like, okay, literally, bro, like, I think Mark even says at one point, like, when are you gonna, like, do something when, like, more people go missing? Like, 13 people, which, of course, I think we're supposed to assume is, like, all the sacrifices that happened at the Waxwork before we saw it, because there's supposed to be 18 total, which Mm -hmm. is why... When the girls see the guy at the beginning, and he's like, you can bring your friends, but it can only be six of you total. Because that would get them to 18. And that's why when they only show up with four, they're like, there were supposed to be more of you. Um, But I digress. So clearly this is a film where, you know, some of the funny's going to work for some people, and some of the funny isn't going to work for other people. Yeah, I just don't think that I really picked up on... It might just not be my humor. I might just have not picked Mm -hmm. up on the vibe that they were going for. I think, for me... I can tell that, that this was written over the course of three days. Um, I don't particularly feel like yeah. any of it is very fleshed out. I don't feel like any of the characters have much depth to them. Um, mm. And I don't think that any of the jokes feel very, like, intelligent. Um, it just kind of all feels like stock ideas to me. And I think that's my problem with the film in general, I think, is just that they were, like, oh, this is a, like, they have a good, solid outline for me, like, a good idea, like, I mean, it's very House of Wax, 2005. Oh, there's Um, only a scene where the detective fucking peels off the side of someone's face, and I was like, House of Wax, 2005! I mean, like, I think it's a really cool concept, I think it's a good idea, but then I feel like, because he wrote it so fast, maybe, he was kind of just like, okay, I'm just gonna throw in, like, werewolf, vampire, mummy, it's just, like, very cookie-cutter, very obvious choices for me, and so therefore I'm kind of like, I've seen this a thousand times I I just like don't care too much you know no I think it's a good jumping off point um for a few things which kind of all comes back to the fact that yeah it was written in three days and it shows because I think I definitely give this more leeway in the sense of generally even in the funny stuff like it takes a lot for me to actually like laugh out loud at anything um I think a lot of times either if I, if I think it's really funny, I'll, like, internally think it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Or even more so, I'm like, maybe this joke didn't make me go, like, ha, funny. <laughs> but, like, you know, I can, like, appreciate that it's there. And I'm like, yeah, that's a joke for somebody. Right. It's not offensive to me. Um, but I think what you're saying, and it plays into, yeah, a lot of this where it is just, like, I, yeah, the idea for this, really fun. 
like a wax museum that like comes to life. There's like a fucking supernatural episode where that shit happens to yeah. a certain degree. Um, uh, there's a supernatural episode for fucking everything. Um, but you know, um, it's like the ideas are there, and like none of them are overtly bad. But yeah, if they had more time, I think that there would be more time to like flesh out more scares. Um, and I, as I said prior, I think that the the monsters all look great to me. I don't think I overtly have any of them where I'm like, ugh, I would do that better. Mainly because I fucking can't do any of it. Um, but yeah, I think the scares might be heightened more. I think there would be more time to make better jokes. And what would make that easier with more time is spending more time to, at the very least, at least one or two of these characters. Like, fleshing them out more slash making them more likable. Because I know something that you have said, because I think it was in your letterbox review, and I don't disagree with you, is that definitively, I think, you know, the lead of the movie is Mark, um, who is this, we literally, after the opening scene, which is, we're seeing somebody in this house getting bludgeoned, which we find out later is his, like, grandfather years prior, um, we see Mark at this huge fucking dining table in the morning with his mother, both at opposite ends, and, like, at least in that scene, he's not doing anything overtly bad but it's just like you're setting us up with this like really rich white kid who's gonna like go to fucking like class at like it seems like maybe a community college nothing wrong with that but like in a fucking like blue suit just like doing the most I think that that opening scene is really weird to me because I feel like for me at least throughout the rest of the film Mark is very privileged and spoiled and you know I I don't think he's very respectful but that is, like, the one scene where he kind of, like, defends... Yeah. Defends, like, quote-unquote, like, the help. Because, like, his uh-huh. mom is like, I heard that you, like, had a drink or something with, like, the butler. Like, you know you can't do that. And he was like, they're all people, mom. Like, and so it sets him up initially as, like, okay, he's going to be, like, a, a kind, like, normal person. But then he's like, my favorite thing... I think about this movie is that opening moment when he's like, "Mom, when are you gonna let me have coffee?" He's like clearly like eighteen years oh, old, yeah. and she's like, mm, "Drink your milk, honey." Um, and then the butler gives him his coffee. I mean, caffeine. He says, "Yeah." And I'm like, I don't. Again, like that's. I feel like it, I don't get the joke. Yeah, like, I don't was get that clearly one meant to be a joke, and I don't get the joke. Um, but he's just from. It's. I feel like it's that first scene like sets him up kind of as like a protagonist but then the rest of it he's just like shitty the women they keep telling him the same thing of like i need more than what you can give me and he like doesn't get it he's just like what i'm a big dumb doofus and yeah i just don't like his character and you i know what you were gonna bring up about my letterbox review because typically like if you're gonna give me a like a, a character and i'm gonna hate them and you're making them this like spoiled privileged person it's because you, you're leading me up to be excited to watch them die. And they yeah. don't do that. And I don't get the satisfaction. No, I mean, because he's the lead. He's the first one that figures out, like, oh, my God, you know, the classic, like, this, the monster only has power if I give it to it because mm-hmm. they're not real yet. So I can step right out of this scene that I've been pushed into and they can't hurt me. Um, so he doesn't even fucking really get hurt at all. Um, until, you know, they get into the, when everyone's alive, that again, they're, like, doing a huge brawl. Um, but yeah, that's a huge example you were pointing out, because I thought the same thing, because I had looked at your review before I rewatched, because to remind myself, like, what you had thought about it, and I was like, 
oh right like I feel like I remember not liking him either and then opening scene it's one of things like even if they did play into the whole like he's yeah he comes from privilege but like he cares about other human beings like bar on the fucking mm-hmm. floor now like you could maybe get away with that shit in the 80s people would be like oh amazing <laughs> like now it's just like I don't care that the white rich boy like has human decency that yeah. doesn't make me like okay good you should but he doesn't spit on his servants wow like that's your whole personality is that like you like are humane to other yeah. people great um but not only is it they're not even doing that like they do that and then there's like I feel like there's a scene later on there's two things later on there's a scene where I think they're like gonna go to the house or whatever and like no one no one really wants to except like the girls mm-hmm. um and then, like, he, I thought I heard him, like, make some comment about, like, he has to get home to, like, make sure that the, like, the help, he referred to them as something else, um, like, aren't getting into something. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I have to go back and look. Maybe I imagined it. But then there's a scene where he comes home, and before we see him in the house, um, this woman that's, like, this a maid or some kind or whatever, she's, like, in her, like, nightgown, <laughs> her little nightcap, like, cursing to whoever like I think in Spanish um she's like clearly suffering she's having the worst night she's like near tears he comes he opens the door and he's and you think at first like is he gonna yell at her and she's like oh like hi like whatever he like he's like shh, like sneaks in comes over to her and then like you're like okay is he gonna like comfort her or are they really gonna try to lean into the like he's good to the servants whatever bit and it's not even that. Like, he doesn't even come over, like, pat her on the back, like, did you have, like, a rough day? Like, was my mom a cunt or whatever? No. He's like, did you finish? And she hands him the fucking book report that he had to, or whatever, that he, like, had to write for class earlier because he showed up late. And she's like, yeah, like, I'm not, like, good with English. Which is why she was suffering writing this three-page paper yes. in a fucking different language. And, like, he's like, oh, great. And you're like, not this motherfucker making her do his assignment for him. Well, on top of that, like, that scene in his college class when he shows up late, again, I'm sure it was meant to be comedic, but, like, I just took it as, like, that's so unrealistic and ridiculous because he shows up late and the professor is like, I want a 20-page paper tomorrow on this topic. And then he, like, talks back. Oh, he's, like, talking to his friends, not paying attention. And then the professor. Oh, he's, like, like, fucking screaming. Yeah, he is. And then the professor's like, okay, and then I want a 40-page paper on this, too. So it's like, okay, so he... Essentially, if we're taking all of that information at face value, he is deciding to go out to a midnight party with his friends and making his maid or whatever her job is, who has a difficult time with English, write a 60-page paper on dictatorship in a class that she's not taking so that he can take credit for it. Yeah, I don't like him. No, he sucks ass. And, like, yeah, it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, at what point are we supposed to like him? Because it's, like, sure, he's not doing, like, your classic 80s bad guy, like, being, like, overtly saying things. But it's, like, he doesn't even need to be overt because, like, his actions and, like, setting him up as, we said, like, a rich white boy who, like, gets his servants to do whatever he wants. Oh, yeah, sure, he, like, doesn't scream and yell at them. But, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I still don't like him. I wouldn't hang out with him. Um, And at no point in the movie does he, like, have a 180 where he, like, really realizes anything. They literally go from him being with China, which we'll get to China because I love her ass. Um, And she's like, I'm fucking done with you. Goodbye. To then, like, 
without anything happening. It's just like after they kind of get out of the wax work and it's just, oh, they must have left together. And he's like, I don't believe that. Whatever the fuck. It's him and Sarah, the other, the female lead. Then like there's a moment where then like, I don't know if it's right after that or it's like later on down the line where like, we're just supposed to believe that like now like she is possibly into him. Yeah, that comes out of left field. I was like, and mind you, even after they do it, they don't even lean into it that hard where she's like, they're like, oh my god, they really, they're just like, no, they like each other. And I'm like, I don't feel that, I don't see that, and I don't get any reason why that would fucking happen. It doesn't make any sense because they really set up that like Mark and China had something going on between them, and she got bored of him because Mm -hmm. she says later on like, I I need more than you can give me. You know, I think he's just probably an immature, like, spoiled child and she wants like an adult man with his shit together so she is like seeing this other guy i think his name was jonathan um who was like a very very small character and yeah mark is insanely jealous of it and like he's dwelling on it for a big chunk of the film and then when they think that china leaves the waxwork with tony aka bobby from twin peaks because they both get killed, but they think that they've left mm-hmm. together. He's still insanely jealous and being like, no, 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 there's no way she's with Tony. There's no way. Like, he's so possessive of her. And then there's one scene where he tries to, like, kiss Sarah. And she's like, um, yeah, I that don't was think that's a good idea. Like, it's not that I'm not, like, attracted to you, but... And I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, why would you want okay, to was that? Someone? Did it come after they went to the attic? I don't know. It, can't, it was, like, 45 minutes in. It was, like, right around the time where I started to clock out mentally. Because there's a whole scene where they, like, they go, because he's like, I recognize the waxwork guy. No, no, that's, that's the, near the end. Are you sure? Because that's when they go in the attic, remember, she opens the book, and, like, puts yes, her yes, under yes. that, like, that's lit after that? No, he tries to kiss her before that, I'm pretty sure. I think it's when they're, like, I don't, I don't remember exactly in the plot when it happens, but I, I'm pretty sure it's before that. Even if it's before or after, it doesn't fucking matter. It still comes out of fucking nowhere. It does. Because it's, like, it isn't, like, she's, like, Mark, like, No. That's mm-hmm. not us. And we're like, if it would be them leaning into the fact that, like, this guy is a fucking idiot that doesn't get that these girls don't like it. No, no, no. They're like, oh, no, he's picking up on the signals that she's throwing out. She only doesn't want it because, like, she is under some spell or whatever where she, like, wants to be, like, like, she wants a BDSM relationship. Or, yeah, like, that also well, comes out of nowhere. <laughs> well, it, I, oh, hold on. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, that scene specifically where they almost kiss. You know, they don't, which I'm like, great. But then it's like this kind of moment where, like, she's like, oh, no, blah, blah. But it, like, almost feels like she needs permission from him for it to be okay that she doesn't want to kiss him. Yeah. Because then he's like, he says something where he's like, don't worry about it. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, like, get on home, kid. And it's like, if you don't want to kiss him, girl, you don't have to kiss him. And yeah. even if he was like, come on, Sarah, you, you can't fucking do that to me. You can literally be like, I don't owe you a kiss. I don't want to kiss you, so I'm not going to... I don't care if I want to... Like, literally, it's just one of those things where it's like, girl, if you're like, I only want to suck your dick, that's all you have to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, if she, like, for some reason was like, I never want to touch you in any other way other than sucking your dick, I don't want to kiss you, you can do whatever you want. That's... You're right. But, like, yeah, it was just, like, weird to me the way it played because it is played, once again, that kind of, like, soft, sweet, kind of goofy. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, she needed for him to be like, it's fine. Yeah, I just, like, thought that was such a weird choice, like, just throwing it in there to, like, try to create chemistry that's not there, um, mm. and I guess to kind of, I, I don't know, I just think that if I, if I were her and 
my friend who was dating essentially my best friend and is pining after her and is always talking about her and obsessed with her then tried to kiss me I would be like what are you doing bro well because it's weird because at one point I was like are they trying to set up that she's always liked him because there's when they go to the waxwork she's entranced in this one exhibit that she ends up in later which is this like girl getting tied up and getting whipped for sexual pleasure um and she's staring at this figurine of this guy that is the guy with the whip um and she's entranced by it this is like beginning of the movie nothing else has happened and they like, she's staring at only this one exhibit. And then they leave. Like, Mark is like, we need to go. Like, I don't know where the others are, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. That's all that happens there. And then before, after the kiss, I don't fucking remember, sometime around the middle of the movie, they go to Mark's attic because he's seen the waxwork owner before. It's in the newspaper article about the guy that killed his grandfather. While he's looking for that, she finds this book that apparently is another artifact that his grandfather had collected at some point. I can't tell you what's on the fucking front of the book. It's like a different language. She opens it up. Apparently, I'm sure it has something to do with said exhibit that she was looking at. It's like, you know, a glowing light is like washing over her from it. Her whole body is now perspiring. She's like holding her chest, clearly getting horny as fuck. Like, and then like Margaret like calls her over. So she closes the book because then later on when she ends up in the exhibit, he says something like, this isn't you. Like you've, you've been under a spell. But I can't remember if he said it was, like, ever since you opened the book or, like, ever since you looked at the exhibit, which I'm, like, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me if it's just looking at the exhibit because, like, as far as we know, nobody else got, like, put under a spell by looking at the exhibit. They literally were just, like, hey, that guy's wearing cool glasses. I want those. I'm going to go in and take them. Like, The logic is not sound. It's not. But something else I wanted to bring up that this ties into with Little Miss Sarah and her BDSM moment is that... The girlies in this film get the horniest fucking deaths or close to deaths imaginable. It's just funny because it's like the guys will get like brutal shit. Like first guy Tony, like a werewolf attack, like terrifying werewolf that was actually based, the design was based on the howling werewolf. Um, but, and then the next scene is China going into the vampire castle, kind of like what bitches now read in their, like, you know, high fantasy smutty books, which Mm -hmm. I am not judging even a little bit at all. It was a little Fabio-esque. But it's just like that sexual, like, oh, he's going to, like, it's just like the whole time. And then even after, like, she, like, you know, battles her way out of there with the vampires it ends with like him like on the staircase draped over her like biting her neck not to kill her but to make her apparently one of his like vampire brides or whatever and then like the deaths after that like the police officer like you know like locked in a fucking tomb with a mummy forever buried alive pretty much Mm -hmm. and then like what's his name mark when he goes in his he doesn't die but it's just like you know zombie attack like he's gonna be eaten alive it's all in black and white meanwhile yeah sarah in hers is getting like literally like chained up like she's a sacrifice for king kong and like they're gonna like whip her because she's a virgin but like the whole point of it is like they literally say after the fact that like when mark comes to get her which once again they literally refer to mark in the scene as her boyfriend and i'm like when the fuck did that happen fuck off um but they literally are like you know because uh, she's like don't let him take me i want to stay here with you to the people that are like whipping her um and he, they're like oh like seems like she wants to stay with us like i bet like it sucks to know that like she had her first orgasm at the end of like a whip and i was just like it's just one of those things where it's like two like one part of my brain was like okay choices were made here 
choices were made, I'm sure because it's a man, to a certain degree that, like, all the ladies are going to have these, like, very sex, you know, interwoven moments, scenes, deaths. But on the other hand, <laughs> as a woman, um, I'm not going to pretend for even a second that I wasn't like, yeah, no, please. Honestly, let my homegirls get the horniest deaths imaginable because that's how I want to go. Of course you do. I knew and that's that you how would, I will go, probably. I knew that you were going <laughs> to relate, especially to Sarah and her little sequence. Um, when I, the one scene where I was like, oh my god, me, was literally when they're in the attic and she opens the book and she's just immediately like reading it and like perspiring and like like clutching her chest. I was like, this is literally me, like 10 p.m., sorry if it's TMI, but like literally 10 p.m. in my bed, like reading Mandalorian fan fiction. <laughs> I was going to say it, but then I was like, do I want to blow up her spot? Glad you did it yourself. Yeah, that's who I am, y'all. Just like, like clutching my pearls in my bed and then like putting the phone down like, this is too much. So I like, I, I felt seen in these moments by these ladies. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it could be seen either way as like, you know, they didn't really know what to do with the female characters other than sexualizing them. Mm. Or you could read it as like somewhat empowering that like, the men just got fucking brutalized and the women got ravished and they mm. got like their deaths were pleasurable and and or they didn't die but they had like a fucking great ass time i mean i'm going to hope that it was meant to be empowering and like you know she was able to like because throughout the whole film like she's very meek she's very quiet she wears like this really beautiful sundress that I was obsessed with for, like, mm-hmm. the second half of the film. And she seems, like, very much like the girl next door, but then she has that secret, like, desire that is, like, you know, hidden inside of her that needs to be unleashed. And I would like to imagine that, like, you know, it's commentary on, you know, you're not, not just what you show on the outside. You can be, like, you know, prim and proper and also be a fucking freak. You can do whatever mm-hmm. you want, whatever, like, you enjoy, you enjoy. But, you know, because it is the 80s and because it was written by a man, I am unsure the intent behind it, but... I think it's one of those things where, given the time it was written and who it was written by, I even as someone that likes this movie, I, I don't give it the benefit of the doubt. I really do believe it is that, like, male fantasy of, like, oh, the beautiful girl next yeah. door and so sweet, you know, like, you know, lady in the streets, freak in the sheets type shit where it's like, yeah. oh, you, like, dirty girl, you would be into, like, you know, getting whipped and getting, like, tied up, mm-hmm. which, like, okay. But, like, to them, it's, like, they're projecting that onto a woman. Yeah. It's not, like, her be- saying, like, this is a legitimately what I'm into and what I'd like to do with a partner. Um, I think today, if this was made, especially if it was made slash written by a woman, we could still have similar things, and it would be coming from a place of, like, I don't, I don't want to be, I shouldn't be shamed for, like, wanting this. There's nothing wrong, and leaning more into a sex-positive type, you know, way. And I think, as I was watching it now, as someone living in a now time, where I do believe in these things, I can choose to view it in a sex-positive light, and be like, yeah, I'm happy for them. I'm happy that they got horny-ass deaths, and, you know, they got to live fantasies or whatever, in the moment, whatever. We're like, girls now, because we can be much more sex-positive, I feel like an open and talk about sexual desire and what we want and not feel like weird or like girls aren't supposed to talk about that what the fuck ever it's great it's one of those unfortunate things where it's like I'll choose to not even think about it though that like 
but at the time, I'm sure it wasn't done as like, hey, ladies, this is for you. This is to, like, lift you up and let you know, like, yeah. it's cool to have sex. It's more so, like, this, what a little freak she is. Like, she likes to get whipped. Yeah, especially because, like, that sequence then ends by Mark coming in and, like, saving her and taking her away from these people who are, like, doing this to her and, you know, explaining it away by saying, like, it wasn't your choice. Like, you were, you know, enamored and under a spell. Like, this isn't you. Like, you're just like taking away any of her like like her own like authority on it you know even his entrance is really sexual it feels like because when he comes into the room to save her he like comes right up to her and he like almost like looks like angry with her and he like roughly like grabs her Mm -hmm. wrist which i'm sure like plays into the whole thing of like she wants rough sex Mm -hmm. But it's just, like, it was one of those things where I was like, Mark, get the fuck out of here, you fucking loser. The way that you're ruining this fucking fantasy. Mind you, the end of it is supposed to be like, and now we're done playing with the virgin, we're going to kill her, which, like... Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to whip her to death. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I I do think it's funny when they cut to the other scene of the other, like, ladies in waiting, or the fuck they're going to call them, that also are going to get whipped. And they're, like, pissed. Because they're like, why the fuck does she get to get whipped in front of the prince just because she's a virgin? Yeah. (laughs) Like, when's my turn? Um, But... Yeah, it, it was an interesting thing that I, I completely forgot that I couldn't remember. Not that I didn't remember a lot of this film, but, like, I couldn't remember specific things. Like, I didn't remember each person's specific scene. Mm-hmm. And then I was just noticing this time around that I was like, yeah, like, the girlies are getting some, like, crazy sex fantasy deaths. And, like, you know what? I guess if you gotta go, I, that's maybe how you want to go. Yeah. yeah um, I feel like China's is probably the, the, like, peak one that I would want if I'm gonna die. Maybe both. Yeah. yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, a like... a gorgeous mansion with a vampire who is... It's like, it, it it lives out every girl's, like, vampire fantasy. Yeah. Like, or, like, high fantasy, whatever the fuck you want. Um, But I think a good thing to maybe discuss, and then we can probably move on to our Q and Slay, is the anthology aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, I will say, personally, this time around... So I didn't think of it an anthology at all. I never considered that. Then when you brought it up, I watched it this time... I don't know. I still feel like I'm on the fence, so maybe hearing your thoughts on it. But there was moments at the beginning, kind of like, okay, we set, we do the setup. This is the group. We're going to get to them to a location. That feels normal for an anthology, like, because you have the overarching story that you're going to open up with, cut back to, you know, a few times in between each story, and then wrap up with right at the end. So, okay, we got to get to the waxwork. When we get to the waxwork, then I'm like, okay, yeah. Then we're doing scene by scene. And they're, like, decently lengthy scenes of, like, him in the woods with the werewolf in the cabin, her in the vampire castle. But then they come back, because they just killed the two of them, and then there's a good chunk of the movie with it's them running around, trying to figure stuff out. I'm trying to remember, like, all the cutaway scenes. Then they, after the cop comes back a second time, there's a cutaway mummy scene. Mm-hmm. And I, there might be an, another one I don't remember entirely, because the two other friends come back, but they, they, don't, just, they don't get scenes. They don't get scenes. They just get pushed in and they're killed immediately. We just, like, yeah. see their body appear now in the exhibit as a wax figure. Um, I feel like we don't get scenes again until the end of the movie when the other two come back and we have Mark's black and white zombie moment and Sarah's BDSM moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, once again, those end and we leave and we get back to the overarching thing. So it's one of those things where it's like, I I guess maybe more so I'm leaning toward not quite anthology because if we had gone to the waxwork, then one by one we're doing everybody's scene and then we don't stop doing them until we're going to wrap up the overarching story 
of the waxwork as a whole at the end, then I would feel it was an anthology. But because each of the stories I feel like ties too much directly back into what's already happening and we spend so much time just like in that plot line, it isn't. Because like, mind you, anthologies just like all films of subgenres or whatever, they don't have to follow a specific pathway. You can, you know, go about them in different ways, which I'm sure is why some people consider this an anthology, and I wouldn't overtly tell them that they're wrong. I just think that's personally what I don't see it that way. But I, what is your take on this being an anthology? Yeah, I mean, when I said that to you originally, I had almost no memory of this film. I just remembered the, like, basic plot that, like, friends go to a wax museum, they get sucked into the exhibits, and are killed one by one. And so I was like, okay, well then, it's anthology-ish because it has you know, an overarching storyline and then cutaway sequences. Rewatching it this time, I don't think it's an anthology either because simply just because I think that the majority of the runtime for this is spent in the main plot in like the real world. Whereas in an anthology, like the overarching story is like very like short bits and pieces between the longer lengthier cutaways. Um, I do think that it shares traits to an anthology film um, yeah. in the fact that, you know, you have different stories going on. But on a rewatch, I, I would not classify it as an anthology. But like you said, if somebody were to refer to it as one, I would understand what they meant. And I would be like, yeah, OK, sure. Like, fine. Because like, yeah, like you said, there are so many different kinds of anthologies out there. You know, I've seen anthologies that have three stories. I've had seen fucking some that are like 26 stories i mean it doesn't really matter you can kind of like play with it as you will i think i think it's like the cousin first removed of an anthology for me it's like a distant relative of an anthology and i usually feel like an anthology which i'll bring up scare me because i know that i was saying that i think of it in anthology i feel like a lot of times the structure is as i said you open up with whoever the fuck you get them to a location or you keep them in one place, even if it's like a moving car or something. And then it's like someone's going to tell stories or somehow we're going to cut away to other stories that maybe some way relate back to what's happening, but are like separate. Um, and then we cut back, we cut back. So we still get back to those original characters, maybe discussing the story they heard or continuing on with their story. We cut away again and we do not wrap up with them in that moment or whatever until the very end we don't leave that if we're gonna leave the setting we got to at all we don't leave it really until the other anthology stories are done that's why i feel like scare me to a certain degree is an anthology because we open up we meet franny we meet um oh my god why can i not think of josh's character's name fred fred fanny and fred Fred. um fred yes and we get to the cabin from the cabin it's different stories. It's the story of the ghost dog with grandpa. It's the story of um, the werewolf. It's the story of the goblin in the vent. Then when Chris Red shows up, it's the story of the demonic talent show. In between each story, we're getting a little bit more of Fanny and Fred and that dynamic. That doesn't wrap up until all the stories are done and Chris Red has left. And then we wrap up Fanny and Fred's story. Because the stories that they're telling 
really have no bearing overall on their relationship other than maybe the way that they're acting within the film of like oh you're better at telling a story than I am or something like that um that's why to me it reads as an anthology over something like waxwork okay that's my hot take that's my fucking hot take for the episode um I mean I, I I don't particularly think that it's an anthology just because in my little pea brain I feel like the way that I define an anthology is like cutting away to other locations other characters things like that and and then and I think that's what I thought scare me was going to be the first time I saw it and then when I realized it was just two actors in a room like telling stories I mean I love it but for me because it is all one location nothing really moves or changes it isn't um Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of films that we can classify as anthologies in different on different levels and in different ways. So I think yeah, I mean, the same I, way that you think Scare Me is an anthology, I, I, I would accept other people thinking Waxwork in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, when I saw Scare Me, I thought the same thing. Going in, I was like, oh, we're going to cut away. They're going to tell scary stories. And they do tell scary So I think when I first viewed it, I had the same experience where I was like, oh, it's not that. Because they're, they're the same people telling the stories. Obviously, I still like the film. But I think after the fact is when I had kind of what I was saying earlier about, like, subgenres, sure, they, like, follow a set structure a lot of time. But, like, that's the great thing about genre and whatever where you mm-hmm. can, like, bend it and do things different. Where, once again, I'm not telling you that you should think it's an anthology because if you don't, you don't. And, you know, different opinions. But then that's, I think, where I was like, oh, it's still an anthology. They're just doing an anthology a different way. We're going to have yeah. these two actors who are very good at, like, creating these characters in the moment. We don't need to cut away because they're going to act it out for us right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I digress on the anthology bit. Um, I think it would be a good time now that we've covered a good amount of ground on the film to head into everybody's favorite, the Q and Slay. <laughs> All right. Should I begin? Sure. Go for it. Okay. What is your favorite line of this movie? Okay. I have two because in case you went, I thought you were going to take mine. Um, okay. I have a bunch, so you're good. Okay. Well, I, should I do both of them then? You can do as many as you want. Okay. Well, my favorite line comes from my favorite character, China, um, because I do stand by the fact that I think I would have liked this film a lot more if China were the lead and not Mark. Um not that any of them particularly were, like, great people. I mean, Sarah, I think, was kind of meant to be, like, the moral compass of the film amongst all of them. But, like, I just found China to be very interesting to watch. She was very beautiful and intriguing. And she had a lot of personality and fucking feisty, you know? Um, but she it's a scene where they're pre-gaming before going to the museum and she's talking to Mark and she's they're just like going back and forth and very out of nowhere because I feel like they're just kind of like you know one-liners back and forth to each other but she gets kind of fed up and she goes I do what I want when I want dig it or fuck off and I was like literally iconic yeah yeah I love that I mean very 80s dig it or fuck off I'm probably gonna steal that at some point um and then I also Really, I think the only thing that I did think was funny in this film was um, the scene where after Mark takes the essay that his maid had written for him, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be about dictators, and he reads the opening sentence out loud, and he says, 
I think that it's called the T- Trouble with Dictators, and she wrote, "I think I think dictators are the bad people. They have the shouting voices and the small mustaches." And I was like, you know what? I would give her an A because she's there's no correct. Nothing is wrong here. These are all facts. That is correct. Yeah, and I love she it. She nailed it. She did. She A plus. Good job, girl. Um, excellent lines. I have several. Um, one was partially brought up already, which was at the beginning of the movie when um. Mark's mom, when he's like, when are you going to let me drink coffee or whatever? It's it's these two lines back to back. And she's like being like kind of like doing that weird mom bit where it's like, what planet is she really on? Where then she's like, now drink your milk. You're late for college. Yeah. It's just like so strange. It did make me think, of course, our whole milk conversation from our Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker mm-hmm. episode, which if you haven't listened to, you should. It's one of our favorites. It's one of our best. Um, then going off of your China line, right before she says that iconic line, she has another iconic line where she says, can a girl get laid around here with being without being burned at the stake? Which, you know, stake is foreshadowing, yeah. you know, her whole vampire thing. Love that for her. Don't worry, girl. You're going to get laid. Um, then there's a line that Tony has right when he walks in. He's the first one to go into a wax exhibit. He, like, is in a bad wig the second he gets in there. Um... He, he thinks that he's just, like, on drugs all of a sudden. Because then he literally shouts, he's like, who put acid in my drink again, China? Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, establishes the kind of relationships they all have with each other where apparently they're putting acid in each other's drinks. Um, Without telling each other. There's an exchange between China and Mark that I was just was like, what? Where she's, like, te- where he, like, takes her aside at this same get-together for the go being a, a douche and like not getting that she does not want anything to do with him he's like kind of like pressing her like what the fuck like what do you want to be with me and she's like uh because you lack a certain like je ne sais quoi and he's like what or whatever and she's like oh, see you don't even speak french like and he says like oh like sorry i'm bad at languages yeah. <laughs> and then she goes again <laughs> she goes why should i suffer for that and then he goes suffer we're living in america which i think is just like it's just a scene where it paints her as being, like, iconic. Like, this girl has standards. Speak French or get fucking lost. See, she wants a worldly man. And it just paints him again as, like, that, like, yeah. rich white type of, like, this is America. We speak English here. Even though it seems that all of the people that are the um, servants in his house speak English, but, like, maybe not as a first language. But to him, that they're lesser. Be- it's so funny well, because, I don't like, think any of them are, like, maybe, like, American like, born in America, because, I mean, the woman who writes the essay, I believe, is Spanish, and his butler is British, so, like, it seems like they don't have, like, American servants. No. Yeah. But it just, it just painted Mark, once again, as just, like, being an idiot. Um, and then my last line, which was just so quick, was in China's fantasy, um, wax vampire dungeon thing and she goes down the basement and finds a man who's supposedly supposed to be her husband in said story and she just I guess like accepts that in the moment he's like pinned to a table he's been half eaten by vampires and he's giving her like he's very calm seeming about all of it um he's like oh darling thank god you're here just don't turn on the light I don't want you to see me like this but he's giving her pointers and at one point he like tells her like um I can't remember if it's when she, she puts a cross to one of their heads or after she, like, stakes one of them. And he's just, like, he's, mind you, strapped to the table, like, half devour it. And he's just, like, brilliant, darling. <laughs> it's just, like, so, like, straightforward. Like, okay, good job, kitten. Let's go on to the next one. And I was just, like, oh, what a supportive man. I do Even love on that his scene. deathbed. I was, That's a good scene. 
I loved it. Um, but that's that's a bunch of lines. Um, I think I think all of your lines kind of just remind me that I really I do enjoy the first half of this film, and yeah. I think it's because of China. I think the dialogue is a lot wittier in the first half, and I mm-hmm. think because you have China and she's such a strong character, and you get her for like her sequence is easily the longest of all of theirs. Um, um, and I feel like once you get rid of her and it kind of becomes a mystery with Mark and Sarah and then it kind of just becomes like an action sequence the last like 25 minutes of the film, that's kind of where my interest falls away. But I think, you know, the first half of this film does have fun moments. It does have really fun dialogue, quirky back and forths. But mm-hmm. then you get rid of her yeah. You lose your I, do, I get me, sad when she you know? dies. I'm like, fuck. I wish she could have her whole yeah, fantasy really... and then, like, make it out just at the end so she, we could get more of her. Yeah. It literally goes downhill for me when they leave the wax museum that first time without her and Tony. And then I'm like, oh, I care immediately 80% less. Mm. Um, but what was your favorite kill in this film? My favorite kill, well, I have one. I want to also mention this one isn't a kill, per okay. se. But it is going back to the the husband figure in the vampire fantasy. I mm-hmm. love the image of him because the whole thing is like his entire like lower like leg from the thigh down and like the left side has been eaten to the bone. Yes. And it's just like a really cool visual. He doesn't die. Obviously he's still alive at this point. But so my favorite death comes at the end when um, Mark is about to be killed at the hands of the waxwork owner. And then the waxwork owner is like shot from the back. And it's um, Sir, I keep forgetting his name, but essentially the professor guy that was friends with his grandfather, he's in a wheelchair. Um, he, like, saves them at the last minute. But then from, and then, like, a fire is lit, and he's like, don't worry about me, like, get out. And then from behind, the werewolf from the werewolf scene comes up behind him, awesome werewolf costume, and then, like, grabs his skull and just, like, squeezes it and, like, rips his head off, and this, like, bloody, like, geyser mm-hmm. comes out. And it's just, like, it's simple, it's effective, a werewolf ripping a man's head off with its bare hands, that's all I need in a movie. I think we are very similar in that, because I agree that, I think the best moments of practical makeup come in that scene with the husband in the vampire sequence, Mm -hmm. because it's not just, like, he has half a leg that is a bone, like, you can see, like, nerves and muscle tissue and it's very clear that they've been like filleting his flesh off to like eat slowly yeah and then the first time you see it is because there's a rat like trying to eat his flesh and he's like he's (laughs) He's like like, get "Get off me me!" and it's so that part that scene is funny that is the funniest scene in the movie i like kind of forgot about it that's the best scene um and then there's like the whole gag when she's on one side of the table and the vampires on the other side and they're like you know doing that back and forth trying to like get away from each other and then he jumps onto the husband and he's like his torso is on the leg and he's like screaming bloody murder because this guy is on his leg yeah yeah that whole thing is amazing um but my favorite death is ironically also from the werewolf but not the same scene it's tony's scene when we see the werewolf and um I, i don't know the character's name but tony is in this cabin and these two men arrive I think it's like a father-son, like, werewolf hunter type situation, maybe. And the father is trying to get a bullet in the gun to shoot the werewolf. And I will say that not only in this scene, but also in the mummy scene, these motherfuckers do not know how to load a gun quickly. They just, like, watch people die as they're, like, slowly putting the bullets in. They're like, oh, oh, well, he's dead now. Um, But as the father is putting the 
bullets into like the rifle his son who is trying to fight off the werewolf gets just straight up ripped in half from like the head all the way down just like split down the middle by the werewolf and i love that i love to watch someone get fucking disemboweled split straight down it looks Mm. great it felt very like vicious and powerful so i feel like that was that was probably my favorite death and you're usually not even a fan of werewolves i'm not but it was a good werewolf i just wish you know i do think that from your background if they had done other creatures it would have felt maybe a little bit more refreshing um just because not that there's anything wrong with werewolves or vampires or mummies or any of that they're obviously classic monsters for a reason i just feel like there have been so many iterations of those monsters that unless you're doing something completely brand new and versatile with it it does just feel a little bit like dull and overdone for me like i need something really new and refreshing to really like be into it so i do think that the werewolf sequence works but i think it would have worked better with maybe like the thing or um i don't really know if i would have wanted jason in there but that kind of idea Mm. yeah um oh your turn yes um on to our third question which is and i'm sure we're gonna have the same fucking answer probably Oh, we're not? Okay. Who would be your partner in crime, <laughs> and, you know, for what reason in this film? You know that I never pick the obvious one. Well, I'm excited to hear what you're going to pick Because then. I'm assuming you expect me to pick China because I do love her. She is the I best do, character. Yeah. But I want to be China. So, therefore, right, I do not okay. want her as my partner. I want to be the beautiful, sassy, strong female. Mm-hmm. And, therefore, I need... My charming British helper. So I picked Jenkins, who is oh! the butler, who is like apparently friends with the guy in the wheelchair. Who like they like because well, he like knew his grandfather yeah, so, as well. Like, They're all he part comes of the in and like yeah. the team that comes and saves them all. And he's just you know he really cares for Mark. He has a coffee and a cigarette for him ready in the morning. Mm. I really respect that. I appreciate that. Um, and. I would want him to be my buddy, you know? He doesn't need to be my butler. I do not need... He does not need to serve me, but we can be mutual friends. And I think that he's charming, and I like his accent. Um, so, yeah, Jenkins is my is my go-to. I literally would have never guessed. That's why this... That's why the Q and Slay is so magical, you guys. Yeah. Um, well, I've given mine away, but I would choose China. Yes, I similarly want to be China and want to you know encapsulate all that she is but I also to be a little honest with myself like I don't know if I could ever get quite to her level you know I'm not trying to put myself down maybe if I with hard work I can get to that to that place but my thing is like listen I'm gonna be China's bestie I know that that's supposed to be fucking Sarah but Sarah is too caught up in her little BDSM fantasy to fucking give a fuck about her friend being missing so I can't be doing all that so I'd be at China's side at all times, first of all, like, telling Mark to go fuck himself, <laughs> and then me and China, like, locked arms in this wax museum, looking cute as fuck, we're both stumbling in to the vampire fantasy. We're both living the whole, like, oh my god, titties pressed up to the gods, these beautiful dresses, we're all done up, I'm gonna eat blood and meat at this beautiful table, and at the end, we're both going to be by two gorgeous vampire men, like, devoured on the staircase. Honestly, he can take, the fucking one vampire can take turns from the both of us. See if I give a fuck. I don't. So, I want to be China's bestie. I want us to die in a bloody, horny pile on a staircase. 
sorry, mom and dad, but that's the fucking future that I want for myself. Um, so I would pick China all the yeah. way. I respect that. Thank you. Thank you. I really do. Um, okay, so I guess we should go into our original questions. Um, yes, we should. All right. I will say I had a, a tough time coming up with something here because we have done a lot of, you know, films about wax figures and... Have like, we? We've only done I one, mean, haven't we? I mean... <laughs> but we talk about it all the time. I mean, House of Wax, but I feel like Tourist Trap also, like, reminds me a yeah, little bit true. of this. Um, and I didn't want to go obvious, but it's been a long week, and my brain... We didn't do original cool. questions when I we know, had those episodes, either. That's true. Um, well, I mean, House of Wax was not a full episode, either. Right. But I apologize for the slight lack of originality on my part this time. I don't give a shit. Okay. Imagine... We are walking. We come across a Madame Tussauds. <gasps> okay. They're like, hey, come <laughs> to this midnight showing. Yeah, amazing. Great. What celebrity would you want to transport into another world with? Living, dead, doesn't matter. Every celebrity that you could think of is in this museum. I know that you have a few. Who do you pick? Who do you go to? It is so funny because it's like... I know that I overtly offer up the horniest thoughts, and then you come for my neck, you know, fine, and then you fucking softball me shit like this, and it's like, (laughs) what am I supposed to say? You're supposed to say the thing that is truest (sighs) in your heart. Okay, living or dead? Um, I think I know your answer, but I'll be very intrigued if I'm wrong. I feel like you probably also know my answer. Um, I would go into a wax fantasy... So wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going into, like, I'm stepping through, like, we wouldn't, wouldn't, I can't speak. Like, we wouldn't wax work. Yep. And then I'm like, like, am I in a movie with them? Am I in real life with them? Or it doesn't matter. Whatever. You, whatever I want. Whatever you want, the fantasy will be. <laughs> Y'all gonna make me act up you don't have wax to, You don't have to just figure out the fantasy. I just want to know. Who you would Yeah, pick. listen, y'all, you don't... I've already done enough today. I'm not going to spell out my <laughs> fantasies for y'all. Um, I would step into a wax exhibit with a wax Burt Reynolds. Yeah, you would. Yeah. 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 And I'm not going to elaborate because you guys can fill in the blanks. I would like to know what era Burt you would choose. What era Burt? Mm, probably Smokey and the Bandit Burt. Cool. Nice. Yeah. That's a, an old faithful. Yeah. Amazing. But you know what? If all they had was Boogie Night Bird, I would still fucking step into that <laughs> fucking exhibit. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, no. Anya, he could be, like, a day before he passed, and she'd be like, yeah. They could have his fucking, like, skeletal remains propped up in that bitch, and I'd say, see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, that's very, I'm gonna very get true. boned, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what about you? I feel like... The, the easy part of this question was being like, Anya's going to say Burt Reynolds. I'm going to ask it. And then being like, but who the fuck do I pick? Because I I don't have anyone, like, I feel like you go through, like, very specific obsessions with certain actors. And mm. I used to do that. I don't really do it as much anymore. And the people who I've had obsessions with, not that I don't anymore, but, like, they're definitely less intense than they once were and I don't have anyone like Burt Reynolds currently in my brain of like oh my god I'm sexual you could go in and like be besties with an actress that you you like or something Mm, but is that worth it you know if I could Uh, is it worth it girl it's for free (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, well, I'm still going to probably go with a man because, sorry. Um, we're, we're staying true to the film. Horny thoughts only for the ladies. Yeah, um, exactly. That is why. Um, so it's tough. I feel like my initial gut instinct. Mm, okay. I've gone back and forth between two. I will not okay. choose Jared Padalecki because it's too obvious. Okay. Although I think we, but we did mention him, so mark it on your bingo card. I do think that he seems like a lot of fun, and I would have like a great time with him. Mm-hmm. And also, it's Jared Padalecki. But if I could, mm, if I could do season five, Sam, maybe. But okay. my heart has always belonged to one man, and so it's gonna have to be Michael Fassbender. No because any specific Michael Fassbender? Um, probably. I mean, come shame, on now, because he's naked as fuck in that movie. In shame. Yeah. Oh my god, you see his very large penis many times in that movie. So is the wax figure like in the yes. nude? <laughs> you know what? Good on you, girl. Go after what the fuck you want. Uh, Michael Fassbender to me. I mean, I've heard some like problematic things about him, which breaks my goddamn heart. I don't know. I mean, how... I've heard problematic things about Jared Padalecki as well. We have uh, to. I mean, all men are problematic. So what can we fucking do? But Michael Fassbender to me is just like the most attractive human being I think I've ever laid my eyes on and fascinating I would do anything for that man I've I've because I've met James McAvoy and I have like a very similar obsession with James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender and the fact that they're fucking friends kills me but like I met James McAvoy and I almost died inside and I remember leaving and thinking if that was Michael Fassbender I literally don't know what I would have done with myself I think it would have been too much shock for my body and I would have died so you know, I'll probably die in the wax world, but I choose Fassy. I always choose Fassy. Okay. And there's no judgment from me, girl. Thank you. All right. Now time for my original question, which kind of follows a similar path, but not quite. Um, you know, the answer, I guess, could be sexual if you want it to be. Um, which is, if similarly... Okay, okay this all phrase it. If you... This is... There's no way around it. You, um knew you were going to be killed. You're going to be murdered somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you knew that the moment of your death was going to be preserved forever in a museum, like in a display such as this. Mm-hmm. How would you want to go? So do you mean like method of death or like scenery? You can create a whole scene if you want to. You can do something quick. Like in theory, like whatever it is, then, like, if I were to walk into a waxwork slash, like, whatever museum, it would be displayed a likeness of you, maybe really you in wax, who the fuck knows, at the moment of your demise. Okay, my brain is rapid fire trying to plan my, my death. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, the scenery would be bright, colorful candy shop. Okay. With, yeah. like, those rotating diner, like, pie trays. And, like, cake trays. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just, like, it would just be filled with, like, confectionery goodness and sweets. And, oh, it would, it would just be, like, stepping into, like, heaven. Okay. Every, it would be just this beautiful thing. I, I would be wearing the cutest little dress. And I would have a super cute apron on. And I would be, like, living my baking fantasy. But I would have been... Maybe poisoned by a piece of cake. Okay. And so maybe I'm ho- I'm clutching my throat, 
but I'm also holding the fork like I want more. Nice. I think that feels natural to me. That's an off-the-cuff answer, and I think it was a great one. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, know that I did think about this last night, obviously, in preparation. Um, I think about my my demise often. Um, this is what I would want. It plays, I guess, like, lightly inspired by China, but not mm-hmm. really. It would be, the scenery would be a beautiful masquerade ball. Mm. I am, of course, in a, I will say, like, a China-esque dress, but more so I'm thinking of one of my favorite, debatably my favorite film scene of all time, which is Sarah at the masquerade ball in Labyrinth mm-hmm. type dress. Uh, Jennifer Connelly looking gorgeous. Um, like, I just look fucking stunning because that's what matters the most. Um, tits, once again, pressed up to the gods. Waist is cinched. I look amazing. And I'm imagining, like, I'm, like, you know, beautiful expression on my face. My hand is, like, reaching outward, possibly toward, like, my lover or whoever, which we can't see. But then from behind, there's a masqueraded man. We'll say mm. also in, like, an iconic look, whatever the fuck he wants to be wearing. I don't give a fuck. And he has either, like, a beautiful dagger or a beautiful sword, and he's just run it through the center of my chest. So it's, like, coming out the other side. And whatever dress I'm wearing, it's, like, a lighter color, so, like, maybe a white and off-white. And the blood is just, like, forming on the front of it and, like, staining down the front of the dress. So it's, like, morbid, but it's beautiful and it's high fantasy. And that's how I would want to be preserved in death forever. That's high fashion, bitch. Yeah, it's, like, die but make it fashion. Yeah. Amazing. I hope that that's how we go, genuinely, for both of us. And I hope that Burt Reynolds is the man behind you, and I hope that Fassie is the one who poisoned my cake. Oh, so you want him to kill us? Um, he could do what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Not you! <laughs> Michael Fassbender, touch my corpse, please. Oh, man. Stop it. I was imagining more so, like... No, I wasn't initially saying they were going to kill us, but I'm no, combining no, no. fantasies. But I, mean, I, would, I mean, like, listen, if Burns was still alive and wanted to run a sword through me, I wouldn't stop him. Let that be known. I'm thinking of my fantasy that I would have been reaching out toward him as my lover. Yeah. And, of course, someone that's just jealous or not getting all this body yaddy yaddy kills me. But you know what? If it's by the hands of Bert, I'm not going to be upset. That's okay. how I wanted to go. Incredible. <sighs> all right, well... Now, of course, we get to the last part of our podcast, which mm-hmm. is giving this a rating um, on our scale from Busty Blonde of one and a final girl of five. Alex, what do you give Waxwork? I did bump this rating up slightly from the first time I watched it. Um, okay. Not much, but, um, you know, I feel like my base rating is like if I – liked a movie and I thought it was good I usually go mid mid range and then I go from there up and down so for me this is going to be a two and a half it's going to be your classic lacrosse player who loves to smoke weed nice yeah nice um I'm gonna give this a a dumb jock a solid three um just because like I do enjoy this I would recommend um to see it at least once but yeah it's one of those things where it's like I can recognize its flaws especially on a second viewing I can recognize where like the 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 bones are there it's not quite put together as well as it could be and this is one where if for some reason you know at some point someone wanted to remake it I wouldn't 
pitch a fit about it. Um, I would be like, sure, I'm sure you can come up with something. We haven't had a much wax horror in the past few years. When was the last one? 2005? We're in 2021, girl. I need another wax movie. I just think that if someone were to remake it, I just need like a, a huge overhaul because I don't need like a step-by-step remake of this because it, I think it will just feel kind of I don't think it would be a retread. I need I need new ideas. I need new visuals. I need more interesting characters. I need you know, I I think that this has the bones, but I need it to just be amped up. I need the whole film to be on the level of that sequence with the the vampire husband on the gurney mm. with his leg chewed up. I need China throughout the whole film, you know. I need the energy from that first half and I need it I 10 times more. I think it was remade. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be step by step. I think if it was remade, what would need to be kept would just be the Wax Work Museum, yes. the idea of getting pushed into an exhibit and then you die in it and you are within it forever. Yes. You could even keep the whole overarching backstory of like, they need to sacrifice 18 people to bring all of these monsters. Like, you can keep it monsters. I don't care. I mean, I feel like nowadays might be like, we're going to do it and it's all real life serial killers, which could or could not be in bad taste, but you know. Um, but I think, yeah, you would have to, like, better gore, better kills in general, you know, better fucking characters that I could, like, you know, give a shit about at least one of them, and they're not killed off immediately. Um, so just yeah. better. So just, you know, a better movie. And I think, you know, <laughs> there is a, as someone that fucking does not vote usually for sequels or remake I do have a little running list in my head of horror movies that I'm like y'all want to remake the movies that are perfect which makes no fucking sense to me when there are plenty of movies that like have such great elements to them but like oh they 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 failed at launch and they just didn't quite get there Mm -hmm. that you could be harvesting fucking gems from you don't need to remake these other things take the shit that didn't work the first time that's what you remake but that's a whole other fucking tangent um yeah so that pretty much wraps up waxwork once again if you listen to this whole thing and didn't watch and you're intrigued to see for yourself it's streaming on prime on tubi on roku channel and a bunch of other shit free with ads i definitely recommend checking it out honestly probably might even be on fucking youtube on a youtube upload who the hell knows um most of these things are half the time um but that pretty much wraps it up for november um we're getting close to the end of the year which, you know, is both exciting and frightening that already a whole other fucking year has gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, we'll obviously have a December episode for you. Uh, and maybe a few other things to close out the year. But that's, you know, a month away. But, you know, we hope that you all had a wonderful October. We hope that you all have a wonderful November as you get ready for Christmas season and the mayhem that that will bring to rev up. And... As always, uh, keep it creepy. Keep it horny. Yeah, no, really, keep it horny. All right, bye. Bye. Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, First and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, You can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at rblowell. Who else, Alex? Uh, We would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our lovely friend nathan graham who made our beautiful introduction music 
um, and he sings the Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, you can follow him at yes. instant underscore grand, like his name. Um, and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend Jonah uh, called The Commonwealth. Yes, all good spooky content. Yes. And of course, if you can't get enough of us, we're on social media too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, on Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH. And if you really want to write us a whole novella, baby, you can send us an email at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. We always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight. Uh, and if you want to follow us individually on social media, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G-Way Forever. That is G-E-E-W-A-Y, number four, and then ever on Instagram. At agarity15 on Twitter. And uh, Anya Garrity on Letterboxd if you really want my uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, yes. at Alex Branley. Because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Bradley. She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, but that's all we have for now. So we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The girls who cried be horror.